province is still catching flax for headwater pollution. This week, we've got updates from all across the board as the gondola proceeds and we learn more about headwater protection. Plus, CRLs turn out to be not as sure of a thing as they've been sold to be. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 118, where we're living in a province that has vaccines being distributed now. Um, Effectively, no, but we are distributing vaccines en masse allegedly. All you got to do is be 75 or older. Yeah. um, Looking forward to my part, I think, phase Z group. (laughs) Yeah. Don't even need to finish that joke. (laughs) On to the rapid fire. The city is planning to do testing work for the Metro line between February 25th and 28th. Customers are warned that while they may see trains running, they won't be picking up or dropping off any passengers. This finally brings the trains up to the service standard we expect of the city, said Don Iveson, as he announced this update from a closed rec center in the south of the city, which faces out onto a road that is finally melting after not being plowed all winter. The Alberta government began implementation of an innovative new program that is the first of its kind in the world. The program, which aims to teach seniors how to code by not letting them get vaccinated until they successfully write some JavaScript, launched with wide publicity this week. However, it was not all good news as Corey Mathewson, an Edmonton expat with a PhD in computing science, has since released the answer key for the first examination and mass plagiarization has occurred. The Alberta government has learned from the situation and has pledged that when they revamp the AISH application portal later in their term, they will ensure it's not so easy to apply. After Health Canada approved the use of psychedelic mushrooms for clinical use, one Edmonton company is hoping to secure a 23,000 square foot facility to grow the shrooms. Silotech Health Solutions thought they had secured adequate space last month, but unfortunately they were doing product testing that month and instead of renting 23,000 square feet of industrial growing space, they in fact rented a small cardboard box from a pigeon. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. You can reach out for a no-obligation comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you do decide to switch, it's really easy. It's just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. I've read that ad a lot of times. Are they offering internet service now? That sounds new to me as well. First time to see that. Expansion. This week, unfortunately, we have to start with an item that profoundly disappoints me. Uh, This week, the gondola has gotten the go-ahead to proceed with, well, not construction or development or planning, um, pre-planning and early consultation, but it's got the go-ahead to continue. Yeah. So last week, committee discussed this. They put it forward to council for deliberation without a recommendation and council voted eight to five to approve the agreement framework which as we've pointed out in the past is a silly way of saying this is a real non 
approval at all. There's still a whole bunch of work to do, several checkpoints that council will still need to approve before anything actually happens. Uh, but I guess it's a little vote of confidence or at least a minor way to say keep going forward. Although given that, it's kind of surprising to me at least that five councillors voted no. Maybe they're thinking about the election more than the gondola? I'd say you're probably right about that, with the caveat that last week I tweeted, if I was in a councillor's shoes, I would vote no, because the gondola is stupid. Um, I hope that our current elected officials have slightly more maturity than I would act with in their role. <laughs> but the five votes against were Councillor Paquette, Hamilton, Cartmel, Nickel, and Banga. And, you know, you sort of expect Cartmel, Nickel, and Banga to be in that boat. That's not a surprising vote. But Hamilton and Paquette, you could have feasibly seen them go either way on this. Yeah. And they did vote no. Right. But of all the councillors, I think the one that stood out to me was Ben Henderson, who was one of the eight who voted for this. He had the money quote, in, in my opinion, from the discussion. He said, I love the city to death, but we have a really bad habit of finding reasons not to do things. It is part of our DNA. And he's not wrong. There's plenty of reasons to vote yes to this because, you know, it's take a risk. It's the most Edmonton thing you can do. It's living up to that mantra. Mm -hmm. But do something stupid. It's the most Edmonton <laughs> you can do. That's not the quote. No, definitely not. That's not what we're encouraging. Well, they've got this agreement framework now. So now they can go and get some other agreements and uh, pursue things like rezoning and other land agreements. They would probably uh, lease the land that is mostly owned by the city of Edmonton. And uh, and there's going to continually or continue to be some pushback against this for environmental reasons and in the River Valley because uh, the Edmonton Journal article points out that 13 of the 20 towers and three of the five stations that are planned would require tree removal, which is not an encouraging thing to read. Previously to this, I don't know if we had gotten numbers for land costs. This is, to my knowledge, the first actual number, which was per sky would be estimating around 1.2 million annually to lease the land required to run this gondola. That seems low to me because we can build gondolas between mountaintops mm -hmm. at the same length of this gondola for like, you know, call it 40, 50 million dollars. This Prairie Sky Gondola is predicted to be in the order of 150 million dollars, three times as much as building in the mounds. And I always assumed that, you know, mountain land it's just cheaper than city land. City land has dense development, but 1.2 million is not a lot of land costs. So why is this gondola costing so much? Uh, these are questions that would still cause me to vote no on the gondola. And questions we will hopefully get answers to the next time it comes up for a non-approval approval. It will forever be the project that will be built next year. But speaking of building projects, the magic box for building projects is the CRL, the Community Revitalization Levy, which is essentially a magic box that says, if we do some redevelopment on this piece of land, because we will increase the value of the land, the increase in tax revenue will fund the development. It essentially invents money out of future gambling on uh, land values increasing. And, you know... 
it's worked in the past. The downtown CRL with the arena is a good example of that. But a CRL is not always such a magic box of guaranteed results. And we learned this week that the Belvedere CRL is facing an 11.9 million revenue shortfall. Yeah, projections, the latest projections from the city for the Belvedere CRL show revenue of 42 million in taxes and land sales, which is down from their last projection. And significantly down almost 11 million dollars from what was approved in 2012 and administration blames this on a decrease in market values due to the pandemic as well as the much publicized and often talked about slower than anticipated development in the area so uh, crls last for 20 years or until they're repaid whichever comes first this one expires in 2032 and the report this week said that we we're going to have to pay that remaining 11.9 million that you mentioned out of general tax revenue by 2039 to pay off that debt. So that's not a good thing for the CRL. I think a more charitable description of how a CRL works is that perhaps instead of inventing money, it's simply a reallocation. We say we're going to encourage development in this area. And instead of things getting built over there and over there, they're going to hopefully be built in this area because we've created some incentives for that to happen. Um, But that doesn't seem to have been the case with Belvedere CRL. To be charitable to the Belvedere CRL, the CRL may have had incentives to build in that area, but every other arm of the city was creating active disincentives to build in the area. I'm thinking of things like Fort Road and the lack of Main Street in the Belvedere area. It essentially becomes the gutter around an LRT track that cuts through the neighborhood. And we really didn't do much to combat that because I don't want to live in Belvedere. And I think that is echoed by all the other people who also don't want to live in Belvedere. And if there's no one who wants to live in a place, developers aren't going to build there. And doesn't matter how much you reallocate if... Ooh, I said it again. Uh, listeners have said in the past <laughs> that yep. word, allocate. Uh, apparently... Reallocate. It's allocate. Um, I cannot fix that. And I just want you to know, listeners, that I hear you and I'm allocating you the appropriate amount of response. <laughs> I actually drove through the Belvedere area this week and uh, I mean, you have the really beautiful now or well, I think it's beautiful. Some people probably hate it, but the Kathleen Andrews transit garage with the the big art on the side of it. And they also like made the smokestack part yeah. of that thing. It's, right. It's great. Yeah. It looks really good. And the transit hotel has been in the news recently because there's a big redevelopment happening there. There's going to be a new restaurant. So there are some things happening, but you're right. You drive through there. It's not a very friendly road to anything other than a car. And there's really not a lot of development happening along there, aside from these you know, few examples. Well, it's got all the components of being a fantastic neighborhood and a fantastic place to live. But in the typical Edmonton fashion, we just don't let it get the rest of the way because we wanted to make it a gutter for people to move through, whether yeah. that's by the LRT or by private vehicle and us widening Fort Road even further. It's a modus operandi of the city. We put all the investments, we have all the candidates to get us to success, and then we're just not able to cross the finish line because we gotta we gotta love that car. Car addicted. CRLs aren't all bad news, though, and we got informational updates about a couple other CRLs that have had uh, a bit more success. 
Yeah, Edmonton's other two CRLs. One is the Capital City Downtown CRL, which is, of course, anchored by the arena. Projections for revenue are, it's quite a wide range, actually, 710 million to 825 million. But either way, administration says that's enough money to fund everything that's already been approved for the area, as well as most of the unfunded downtown catalyst projects. So that's encouraging. It's also perhaps not surprising. This was the least risky of our three CRLs. It's kind of like the River CRL in Calgary that was built with the Bow Building. Like that's a giant uplift in tax revenue and, and land values. It's just going to, to make that CRL work. And that's what we're seeing with the arena. And then the other is the Quarters Downtown CRL, which was actually approved before the downtown one. It's a little bit to the east, of course. And uh, projections there are positive as well. It will fund all currently approved projects. That one's also been a little bit slower. Um, but the city claims that the infrastructure improvements there have attracted over 800 million of complete in-progress and planned private developments, which was a number that frankly surprised me. Did they itemize any of those? They did not. <laughs> I cannot think. I mean, I guess the hotel formerly known as Hyatt was built in the quarters area. Right. And there's some new condo buildings in there at five corners. And there's, you know, these really super tall towers that have been in the news for that area that are supposedly going to be built at some point. But that's why it says complete in progress and planned. I suspect the majority of that is planned. I was going to say we've made jokes about this failing in the past, but it wasn't actually us. It was episode 100 when the rapid fire guys came over and took over our rapid fire segment. Their closing joke was we wish you as much success as the quarters redevelopment. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, apparently this podcast is successful then by that logic because quarters CRL, it worked. Yay us. <laughs> Speaking of city investments paying off, there was an update in the episode notes this week that I frankly, and I cover a lot of city council stuff, have never heard of. And there was a $1.5 million, which I suppose is low, housing redevelopment grant to convert problem properties into affordable housing. What, what's going on there? I feel like we must have talked about this, but maybe it had a different name or the context was different, which is not unusual for things that city council discusses. But it was approved, this program, last June the city has now announced that, that they're accepting applications for it. And so the idea here is that nonprofit agencies, not private developers, just nonprofit agencies, can get into the affordable housing market and this grant can help them do that. So if they want to take one of these problem properties, they can convert it into affordable housing and they can get a little bit of help from the city to do that. This is you know, in true city fashion, kind of a pilot, I think, which is why the amount is small, because they've talked about using the results of this to inform, you know, future expansion of uh, the program. Um, but it's part of a much bigger plan, of course, to build more affordable housing throughout the city. Scott McKean went on record and said, you know, quote, I think there's two wins here. The one is that we get to give incentives for getting rid of these substandard derelict housing that can drag community down. And he said, of course, that the second bit of good news is that it will be replaced by brand new modern housing that is targeted for might be first time homebuyers, end quote. And I don't disagree with him, but I do have one small reservation here in that it takes problem properties, which are these horrible things that drag down communities that are full of residents that neighbors are often not fans of, mm -hmm. and it converts them to affordable housing, which historically has had a 
NIMBY-esque, well, we don't want those people living here type right. reaction. And I, I do worry about the association of this property, which historically had residents we don't like, getting new affordable housing residents moving in. Like, I worry about the association that we might be implicitly creating there. I think that's probably a, a true thing to be worried about. I think the city and council's response would be, it doesn't matter. We need affordable housing. We need it now. And any little thing they can do to move that along, I think, is what they're keen to do, especially as we continually see a lack of support in this area from the province. Well, man, did you tee me up for uh, that transition. This week, we got a motion from Councillor Paquette about contaminated headwaters, or as it's more commonly known, UCP pumping coal into our river. (laughs) That's right. He uh, made a motion to research the potential effects of coal mining projects on the city of Edmonton's water and to get some information about how Edmonton can protect itself against contamination from selenium, this toxin that is present in waste material from coal mining, and uh, it passed unanimously. So council directed administration to go off and get this information. Which I think is very unsurprising. I don't know you want to be the councillor that says, no, I don't want information about how our rivers could be poisoned. Doesn't doesn't seem like a, a good vote there. Right. You know, Paquette talked about how this could affect not just our drinking water, but life all, all along the river valley and, you know, the fish and all the other animals that depend on it. So he's thinking about the wildlife in addition to our own well-being. But I was, you know, working on this with the, the team at Taproot this week, and it's like a recognition that all of our water comes from the North Saskatchewan River. And not just all our water, all of like the greater region's water. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't think about that on a regular basis. And when I read that, I was kind of surprised. I'm like, but of course, that does make sense. And of course, the water is all connected. So, I mean, as you say, why would you vote against getting some information on how to protect against that? It really does indicate some of our problems with water security, though, because we live on a river. So where other cities might have watershed storage or emergency water rations, we basically don't. And This had come up in the past, I believe it was, maybe it was during wildfires and Mm. ash contamination in the river. But we found out that like, if water supply via the North Saskatchewan is interrupted or unusable, we have about two days. That's all the maximum leeway we have before just the Edmonton area is out of water. And that's a scary thought. Absolutely. And and the reason I think that Councillor Paquette wanted to bring this forward is because there's nothing in place. Like no plan, no strategy, no legal recourse. You know, he's like, he said, quote, we don't even know what our capacity to filter out selenium is. So I think this is going from a position of really not knowing other than it could be quite bad to having hopefully some information on how to make a better decision. And my understanding is that in addition to this information we're going to get from administration, EPCOR is also working on a, a report related to this that is expected to come back in the near future. Uh, Speaking of starting from a position of not knowing, let's talk about the protests. Because there were some demonstrations at the legislature this week, and many people have talked about them, and many people have framed them as a anti-lockdown rally. Uh, We're comfortable on speaking municipally calling it what it is, which is a racist, white supremacist torch rally. Yep. But what happened there? 
I mean, this is ostensibly a group of people that are protesting the public health measures that are in place, wearing masks, all of those kinds of things. And they did this on Saturday at the legislature, and there was clear elements of racism, transphobia throughout the whole event. And it really wasn't about protesting the measures so much as like-minded people, I think, coming together and and taking advantage of a platform that others are giving them. So as you say, it's not an anti-lockdown rally. We've never had a real lockdown in Alberta. We've never had a curfew or, you know, been able to not leave our homes like they have in some other countries. So that's clearly not what this is about. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that this happened and, uh, and that it took uh, at least 24 hours for Premier Jason Kenney to say anything about this. Many leaders, the mayor and Rachel Notley, lots of people were denouncing the the hate-filled aspects of this demonstration right away online. Um, it took until late Monday evening for uh, the premier to say that he condemned it. And he did then in his statement very clearly condemn it and fully, but you know, it was a it was a bit of a slow response. And I don't know that I, he even condemned it fully so much because it was sort of like a condemnation sandwich. Uh, he said, you know, I condemn this fully, but both sides. It was very much, uh, I thought, evocative of the, you know, Proud Boys stand back but stand by type thing. Uh, I mean, I thought he's, he said, I condemn these voices of bigotry in the strongest possible terms. And he did say that there was you know, uh, images from this explicitly white supremacist event, you know, the, the 2017 Charlottesville torch rally. Maybe it could have been stronger. Certainly it could have been quicker. Others have covered better than we can the sort of like racist elements of this and how reactions were lackluster or in other cases positive across the board. But one thing that isn't touched on too much, and you mentioned it, we've never had a lockdown in Alberta. And yet, so many media organizations and so many people are covering this as, you know, the people at the anti-lockdown rally. Now, if I had a like anti-Don Iveson eating babies rally, <laughs> do you think it would be appropriate for CTV News to go ahead and say this anti-Don Iveson eating babies rally went south and had tiki torches? Like, I, I think you're by using the language that the people who organized this rally did, you're giving credence to, frankly, a false premise. We haven't had a lockdown in Alberta. We haven't come close to a lockdown in Alberta. One time, we closed some businesses for a little bit of time, but you could still pick up from them. That's as close as we've gotten. And I think when we talk about anti-lockdown as if there was a lockdown to oppose, it really does a disservice to facts. Yeah, and it's this is the playbook, right? This is the language in the media playbook that the anti-abortionists use, right? Labeling it pro-life, that's not what they're about, right? I mean, it's it's the language that we use that is used to frame the discussion and just simply repeating those words is not helpful. It gives them more of a platform than they deserve. There was one organization this week that was uh, using their platform in a confounding way, because the Edmonton police said one thing, and the Edmonton police chief seemed to be saying something entirely different about this rally. Yeah, the Edmonton police Twitter account shared that this was a peaceful protest. And, you know, that was the first tweet about this from the police that came out, and everyone was thinking, oh, well, that's good. Uh, And then a few hours later, the police chief tweeted, 
that there were four police officers injured or at least assaulted at the event. And then the Edmonton Police Association also confirmed that number to the local media. So at least four arrests were made is what you're saying? No, definitely not. Uh, Somehow neither arrests were made nor was it truly peaceful. The communications person for the the Edmonton Police Service, who's been in the news before for uh, her views, continues to work there, puts out a tweet that is almost immediately contradicted by the police association and the police chief. It's just crazy to me that she still has that job. Do you think we will have a week of speaking municipally where the Edmonton police doesn't do something that would best be solved by firing some of their staff? (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not feeling hopeful about that at the moment, unfortunately. One thing you can feel hopeful for is your future career. Well, at least if you listen to Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlifetoday.ca and Nate. We told you a bit about them last week, and this week you can listen to co-host Brian Allery, who shares a bit more about what to expect from the podcast in this trailer. I fought fires in Australia in 2009, and I just happened to be there when there's an eight-year drought going on, and there's record-breaking temperatures, and a few thousand fires started in one day. In the town that I was in, 34 people died, so that was a pretty scary time. I love Anthony Bourdain. I read Kitchen Confidential, it got me into cooking. I thought, this is rock and roll, this is cool. Anthony Bourdain was a failed chef, and the things he did and romanticized led him to ruin. People get lost in that message. If I, a young business owner who owns a cafe in a small town, can make time for mental health in my business and to help educate our guests and our peers, then what's stopping larger groups of restaurants and better chefs than me from doing it in theirs? Introducing Career Essentials, a new podcast from Tech Life Today and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. We feature the stories and experiences of Nate alumni with lessons for everyone. Whether you're just starting out or further along your career journey, each episode will give you perspectives, tools, and tips that are essential to growth and success. And who knows, we might even inspire you to pursue a completely new career path for professional and personal satisfaction. Career Essentials is created and hosted by the team at techlifetoday.ca, Nate's online magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Career Essentials on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can also find it at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast. And that's all for this week. We got it in under the 30 minutes this week. So congrats to us. Mac, we haven't checked up on Taproot in a while. What's going on over there? Anything new coming down the pipeline? Well, we're still uh, very excited and happy about the response to The Pulse, our weekday news briefing all about Edmonton. We are now right around a thousand people that read it every single day in just the first month. Uh, So that's pretty encouraging growth. And the feedback we're getting is super uh, positive as well. People are really enjoying this part of their morning. So if you haven't already checked it out, you should check out The Pulse. It includes original reporting from the Taproot team, as well as, you know, curated headlines and local updates uh, to keep you informed about what's happening. And as always, you can stay informed about what's happening at Edmonton City Council by listening to this here podcast, Speaking Municipally. Hit that subscribe button in whatever podcast feed you're doing. And most importantly, if you like what we're doing here, tell your friends. Send a couple people a Facebook message and say, hey, these two guys have been doing this podcast for 118 episodes. What's wrong with them? Come watch the train wreck. (laughs) Just wait till we start video. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, don't. I have been wearing pajamas for the past 
almost a year now because we haven't done this in person. Don't you take that away from me, Mac. I won't. You're safe. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.